Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Leadership for Organizational Growth. In it, you'll explore various leadership styles and theories of leadership, as well as best practices for developing the specific leadership skills you need to drive revenue growth. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod355. This is the show's producer, Rylan Sylvester, once again in the host seat with Charles Bernard today in our guest seat. Charles is the CEO and founder of Criteria for Success, and today we will be continuing our discussions on trust and leadership. So hi, Charles. Thanks so much for doing this with me. My pleasure, Rylan. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm great. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself for maybe any first-time listeners who are just getting introduced to you? Sure. So I'm a father, a friend, a traveler, love to travel, and part of my portfolio of experience includes being the CEO of Criteria for Success. I love consulting, training, but above all, learning, either from pieces of information that I find online, or more importantly, directly from working with clients. Mm -hmm. You're a lifelong learner, as they say. Correct. (laughs) Nice. So I'm so excited you're here today because we decided to do this mini episode um, as part of an ongoing series we're doing at CFS about leadership and trust. And the reason we decided to do it was because we've been hearing a lot of talk from our clients and network about trust and leadership. Um, And I already spoke with Elizabeth, who's the typical host of the show, about this topic. But I wanted to bring you in because you're part of the, or obviously you're the huge part of the team. You are the CFS team. Um, And I think you and Elizabeth would kind of have different perspectives on this topic. And so I think it could be really interesting to hear from you. So I think we could just jump right into it because it's going to be kind of a mini episode. Can you talk a bit about what has come up for you as of late um, with relation to leadership and trust. What are you hearing from people? What's come up with clients? Um, What are your thoughts on this just off the bat? Well, first of all, uh, when you said I am the CFS team, I would say I'm probably uh, not the CFS team, a member of the CFS team equal in status to you. Uh, So I'm very grateful that you're leading us here, Uh, which kind of leads to your question about you know, what's been going on in terms of leadership and trust. And my favorite, you've heard me, Ryland, say this many times Uh before, is that leadership doesn't have titles, doesn't need to have a title for you to be a leader. And most leaders I've come across um, don't have titles, in fact, in an organization. So, but specifically around the idea of trust and leadership and what's been going on, So we've just come out of the COVID pandemic and there's still a lot of economic and uh, anxiety uh, fallout from that. So I think that's been uh, a little bit of a breeder of mistrust. And I know when you spoke with Elizabeth, she referenced something that sort of started us on this path discussing trust and leadership, which is the Edelman Report. And I know you're going to ask me later on about, you know, what are some of the resources I recommend? I really recommend checking that out. But what 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 was fascinating to me is that for years, Edelman, which is a pretty well-known PR company, 
uh, one of their hallmarks is doing uh, trust and leadership uh, index, trust index. And they usually measure government, NGOs, uh, non-government organizations, mostly not-for-profits, and mm -hmm. private business. And for the first time in 2022, uh, Government is at the bottom of the list and wow. private uh, companies, privately held companies generally, there are some public, but mostly small business is at the top of the list, meaning that most employees, most people trust their company above some of these typically large, well-established institutions like government, etc. So. Um, the other thing that's been coming up for me is that leadership and trust is a two-way street. What I mean by that is leaders must show trust in their followers if they want them to trust them back. Mm -hmm. So it isn't just, hey, I want you to trust me as your leader, but I almost have to set the example first. And that to me is almost a given, but oftentimes people don't think about it or don't talk about it enough. So anyway, that was, that was a long-winded answer to your question. Hopefully that helped. No, I think that's so interesting. Let's continue down that path and discuss more from the perspective of business leaders. What happens when there's a lack of trust in an organization? And maybe um, as a leader yourself, how can leaders identify a lack of trust if it's present in an organization? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's a great, that's a really good question. I'm going to have to really think about that because I could probably give you another long-winded response, but I don't want to bore the listeners too much. So I want to kind of make it <laughs> a little more <laughs> on point. But let's talk about from the leader's perspective. I think okay. when a leader, and this is something I've witnessed, and, and frankly, I've done myself, but I've also noticed that a lot of leaders that we work with have, have done is... Mm -hmm. When a leader perceives a lack of trust, whether it's imagined or real, doesn't matter, they have this perception that there is a, there's a mistrust. It could be a mistrust of them as the leader. It could be a mistrust on the team, meaning teammates don't trust each other. It could be lots of things, right? So one thing that I notice people do, leaders do, is they try to compensate by building process or not addressing the elephant in the room, so ignoring it and sort of trying to compensate in other ways. So I think that's a big problem. So I think a lot of what I notice is that there is this perception that there's a lack of trust, but it's just not getting addressed. And, and frankly, that's the first step in dealing with it effectively. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's usually what happens when there's a lack of trust. Now, to kind of talk a little more specifically, what I think are some of the visible signs. So you're a leader, or you don't have to be a leader. You just notice that when there's a lack of trust, people begin to withhold. They withhold what they really think. They withhold in general. They withhold participation. You know, they sort of sit back in meetings. They don't talk. Now, sometimes people don't talk because they're listening. So you have to yeah. be able to kind of distinguish whether a person's not participating because they just have nothing to say. But I think if you're well attuned 
to how people on your team are. Like if you've worked with them for some time, you kind of get to know their style. And one sign to look for is lack of participation. The other is to me probably a sure indicator of mistrust is turning in low quality work, you know, missing deadlines consistently Mm -hmm. or cutting corners. It could be as simple as you're starting to notice that someone who used to send emails that were really well worded and um, grammatically correct are now full of typos. And that, that, that's almost kind of like a, a combination of mistrust, stress, a whole bunch of things. So these, right. are, these are signs that I look out for. The problem with that is if it continues for some time, um, for example, people compensating, not participating, turning in shoddy work. Um, there's a lot of burnout. And I think one one place where burnout leads to uh, a real problem is when people feel they're taken for granted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's almost like one of the preliminary indicators or preliminary seeds that breeds mistrust. Like, you know, if you're not even acknowledging the work that I'm doing or acknowledging the contribution that I'm making, I'm beginning to mistrust you as a decent leader that I want to follow. Stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these are all good identifiers. I think a theme I'm hearing here is, especially with the Edelman report, it's like there's a lot of pressure on leaders now because our business leaders but they also could use this as an opportunity. Like if you are noticing that someone is stressed or that they are sending the typos, you know, maybe that's a good uh, time for you to check in with them and um, actually build the trust, right? Once you identify that that's something that's, you know, sending in their typos or whatever. Absolutely. So, okay, we just talked about ways to identify if there is a lack of trust, but I wondered if you had... um, any solutions just off the bat? Maybe what have you seen with clients or your network? What have you seen work as kind of a solution to this problem? And what have you seen not work? But actually, I'm going to flip that. Can you start with what have you seen not work? <laughs> and we'll end with what have you seen work? Because we want to end on a positive note. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's actually a really good question because I think people make the attempt in general to compensate for a lack of trust or a lack of poor leadership. Uh So one thing that I think may be well-intended, but certainly doesn't work, and I'm guilty of doing this, and I've worked really hard to avoid doing this, but I do it, and I'm sure others do, (laughs) is micromanage, right? So Mm -hmm. you suspect there is mistrust, and you want to kind of figure out what's going on or you want to, like I said earlier, compensate. So you want to micromanage the people that you're, that are on the top of your list uh, for mistrusting you or others. Um, and I don't think that works because ultimately when you micromanage people too much, which happens, they begin to, again, withhold and mm-hmm. expect that you're going to, second guess everything they do, so why bother? So micromanagement is probably top of my list of what doesn't work. I think the other thing is giving people what I call in quotes, safe work or busy work um, to sort of try to keep them engaged. 
but it's not interesting and it's not challenging. And we may, for again, good reasons or good intentions, think that by kind of giving them non-challenging or not very interesting, uh, busy work, we're sort of keeping them engaged. But in reality, I think we're making the situation worse because now uh, people are literally beginning to wonder what, why are they even getting up in the morning and coming to work and doing what you're yeah. asking them to do. And then lastly, I mean, there's a whole litany of things, right? I'm just going to give you three or four. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think there's another one, which is we as leaders tend to fixate on the problem and get tunnel vision. So in other words, if you think, you, so you're my leader, for example, mm -hmm. you think there's some mistrust between us, you might fixate on that um, and try to overcompensate and get tunnel vision about a problem that unless we've discussed it openly and you just suspect that there's a level of mistrust and you're trying hard to uh, fix that issue, I think you're probably making it worse without having a kind of step back and and having a discussion about what's going on. Now, that doesn't mean to say you're going to ask me, do you mistrust me? Because I think that's mm -hmm. kind of putting me on the spot. Right. But just certainly calling, uh, calling things out, um, you know, speaking a concern, asking if there are concerns. There's lots of things you can do. Um, so those are the things that don't work. Yeah. Um, you want me to go down the list of things that I think work? Well, yeah, I think let's, so those are the things that don't work and we know there's going to be plenty more things that also don't work. So maybe let's just jump to the stuff that does work and try to, let's, you know, I want to end with some hope for people. I know it's a lot of pressure, but I also think, again, it could be an opportunity and that we want people to be trusting each other and having yeah. uh, a good work experience. So yeah, what does work or what have you seen work? Well, you know, I'm going to answer that question by almost giving you a reciprocal to all the things I mentioned that didn't work. Okay. So, for example, if your micromanagement or there is micromanagement going on, one thing that I think works really effectively is to reverse the micromanagement, meaning instead of the boss, the leader, the supervisor micromanaging the follower, the employee, the mm -hmm. staff person, encourage them to manage you, what we call managing up. And that can be done in a, in a very micromanagey way. I don't mind being micromanaged. You do that to me. You make me show up <laughs> to these things. <laughs> you know, you, you prepare for me in advance things that we're going to cover, um, things that you need. So I think that is a real simple switch, just switch the direction of the management. So it's the employee managing the boss, managing up. Mm -hmm. Interesting or challenging work? Well, I got to put a plug in for what we do. Uh, we, we create sales playbooks. We, those are company-wide initiatives. Anything that involves collaboration, anything that involves uh, a wider group of people than you normally interact with, by definition, I think is going to make the work more interesting. And more importantly, you want something that's interesting and challenging because it's going to make an impact to the business. In other words, it's not just busy work. It's not moving particles around from one side of the desk to the other. That's what I call, you know, busy work. I'm talking about doing something that we're all going to benefit from. And so if you have your 
your DNA imprint in that project. You feel you made a contribution to the team, to the whole, to a bigger group than yourself and your even your department or your team, then there's a, there's a bigger chance that you're likely to be engaged and not just be, you know, doing mundane, busy work. Um, fixating on problems and tunnel vision. I think the, the thing that works is instead of going into a narrow trough of mm-hmm. solutions, kind of look for new possibilities, a broader range of possibilities. You know, one of the things I've been saying for years is there is this perception. I don't know where it originated from, but the perception is if you're an employee with a problem, there's something wrong with you. And if you have a lot of problems, there's a lot wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that thinking is if you see people who have problems as having something wrong with them, in a way, you view them as disabled in some way. Um, and I don't know about you, but if I want someone to fix a problem, I want the most able person to be able to fix a problem. So if I've already come to a discussion thinking that there's something wrong with you and you're disabled and I have to come to the solution, I have to help or give you the solution, I'm doing you a disservice. So that's what I mean by looking for possibilities. I think the best coaches in the world is when people have a problem, when the business has a problem, a coach doesn't provide the solution. Their job, my job, your job as a leader is to provide a wider range of possibilities, ones that I'm not thinking about. So that's what I mean by almost the opposite of fixating on something where you get tunnel vision, you're trying to, to search for an, a solution with a, with a narrow number of possibilities. So that's kind of things that I think work. Um, and I'll wrap it up by, by saying everything I've said is kind of a little mechanical, right? Obvious uh-huh. red flags, do this, red flag, do that, fix it this way, fix it that way. But I think it's important as a leader who's looking to establish trust to have a key philosophy that I think we we almost think of intuitively, but we don't call it out enough so we can actually uh, remind ourselves of how powerful it is. And that is, I want leaders to begin to have a philosophy of not that I want your trust or that I need to be trusted, but that I'm trustworthy. And mm-hmm. let me explain, because I know Elizabeth mentioned trustworthy when you interviewed her. I just want to give a little bit of a, an expanded view on that. Think of trustworthy as a context or a bubble. So I remember you saying to Elizabeth, you know, trust is something that you have to earn. Mm-hmm. I, totally, I totally get that. So as the person who's placing trust in your leader, you grant trust and you revoke it. But if your leader, if you do that within this bubble that your leader is trustworthy, they're a human being, everyone's a human being. And from time to time, I'm going to lose your trust. It's just a fact. That doesn't mean to say that I'm not trustworthy. And so if I'm trustworthy, then I have the ability to regain your trust, to work to regain your trust, to earn that trust. So we mustn't lose sight of the fact that once you lose someone's trust, that's the end of the game. That's not mm-hmm. true. I think that's a very disempowering viewpoint. 
if you lose someone's trust, but you're trustworthy and you believe you're trustworthy, then you can start to look for those things I said earlier, those possibilities to regain that trust. Um, does that make sense? I don't know if, if I rambled too much. I think that makes sense. Like relationships ebb and flow. And so if you're a trustworthy person, maybe, yeah, maybe let's say an employee slips up on one project, but then they can build it back with another. And as a leader, you're giving them the opportunity to see, or I'm sensing this theme with you, Charles, that there are more possibilities. Um, they can think outside the box a bit. Um, and yeah, broaden their thinking, which also is cool that you do that, or that's your goal as a company too. work on initiatives altogether. I think that that's interesting because that fosters collaboration, which is big for trust. Yeah. Big for leadership. And you know, it's interesting, Ryland, something else that I've noticed, and it used to be big companies like Cisco and, uh, Apple and, uh-huh. Microsoft and Amazon, you know, all the household names, big companies, fortune companies were known for what I'm about to say. But what I'm noticing more is that small companies, 1 million, 2 million, three employees, five employees, a hundred employees are beginning to create some form of wellness initiatives, wellness programs. We don't have to have some monster, you know, uh, wellness program that's bolted onto our health benefits plan. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about wellness initiatives that help people kind of reduce some of that stress. And then when that goes and anxiety and therefore allows people to establish more trust in each other, in the company, in the faith that the company has their best interests at heart. And, you know, wellness initiatives could be anything from giving people an extra, you know, uh, paid day off. Hey, listen, we went through a really tough time putting together this project. Everyone worked extra hours. We burnt a lot of uh, energy. Let's just give ourselves a break and and take a Friday off or, or you know, whatever it is. It could be simple like, you know, summer Fridays or the Friday before a a three-day weekend. Take that off so it becomes a four-day weekend. Mm -hmm. So small things that really... I think don't cost the organization an enormous amount, but can be viewed by people in the company as a benefit, a real benefit, a meaningful benefit, something that says we really care about you. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Totally. And that's, I think we could have a whole nother conversation about that and have a company, how a company can be more flexible and flexibility on team. That's another conversation, but (laughs) this is a mini episode. I'm sure we could go on. I do want to start to wrap it up. And you already mentioned some resources before. Um, I wondered if you could just go over them again. So are there any resources you wanted to recommend to our listeners or you want to expand a bit on them? Sure. So one is listen to uh, the other podcasts on this theme that you did with Elizabeth. I think that's a (laughs) good resource. Um, I've mentioned the Edelman Trust Report. Now, if you look online, For the Edelman Trust Report, there's one link in particular. I think it kind of comes up in the top three searches on a page of of Edelman Trust Report. There's a great video that I would recommend. So you'll get the report, but if you have time, watch the YouTube video because it's an interview from some well-respected leaders in industry talking about trust. But not only, I'll tell you why I like this particular one. They also have members on the panel who talk about trust in other cultures, like in Asia, India, China, 
uh, you know, places, Europe, places we don't ordinarily think of. We kind of live in our own little world. So that's a good resource. And then uh, I came recently across another one. I like the Harvard Business Review, but this one is Harvard Business Publishing. And there's a blog by Abby Lewis on leading the way. And um, it talks about everything we've talked about much more succinctly than the way I've been talking about it for sure. Those are all fantastic resources. I will be sure to include them in the show notes. Um, where can listeners learn more about you and your work? Charles Bernard. Sure. So uh, two things, uh, three things. See Bernard at Criteria for Success. I always love to get emails from people. Uh, LinkedIn, you can go there. I, I post quite a bit. And I've got a, a leadership and organizational growth ebook that I wrote. Um, that I that I did a lot of research for, and it's up on our website. You can download that for free. Uh, so I would say those are good places to start. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this. I know we'll be continuing the conversation and coming out with more resources related to this topic. But for now, this was great to hear your perspective. And if our listeners are still here, if you have any ideas, feedback, or guest suggestions, please reach out to us. We are looking to continue this discussion and expand it. So thank you so much for speaking with me today, Charles. My pleasure. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. You can find the notes and resources for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 355. As a reminder, if you subscribe to the show, you'll get every new episode as soon as it's posted. You can subscribe for free wherever you're listening right now. If you enjoyed today's show, please recommend us to a friend to help more people discover it. Also, we love feedback, so you can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us with feedback, guest suggestions, or questions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook, and don't forget to check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!